play and stay on Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. Stand up paddleboarding, hiking, great restaurants and breweries. I'll tell you more about your next vacation destination later in the show. Cairo, Seattle. Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal, a show about famous people and the stories behind the foods they love most. Today on the program, actor, comedian, and nonprofit running do-gooder, Rain Wilson. Rain Wilson is best known for playing Dwight Schrute on the American version of The Office from 2005 to 2013. And he's set to star in an upcoming Amazon show called Utopia with John Cusack. But Rain's entree into stardom was on a soap opera. My first on-camera acting gig was uh, on One Life to Live. I forget the guy's name, but I was a homicidal stand-up comic, which is pretty perfect casting. Rain also co-founded Soul Pancake, a digital media company that makes uplifting videos and aims to make the world a better place. And speaking of caring about living things, last year, Rain and his wife challenged themselves to go vegan. So the hardest thing to give up for me was cheese. I used to eat a lot of cheese and I just loved it. Cheese on sandwiches and cheese and eggs and just snacking on cheeses and that has been the best thing for me to give up. I don't miss the cheese. It it just, now like the thought of eating cheese kind of makes me sick. Like it would be like eating like silly putty right from the egg. Now, Rain didn't know it, but his last meal is allowing me to rant about a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. A topic I will wax on about to anyone who will listen. The proper way to pronounce that mashed up Mediterranean chickpea dish that is now sold in every grocery store and served on happy hour menus in bars across America. In Israel, in Hebrew, you say hummus. In the States, it got translated to hummus. That's David Nussbaum, owner of Seattle's Aviv hummus bar. And there's going to be a lot of in this episode. David and I are equally passionate about how bad most hummus is in America. And I think that he makes the best Israeli-style hummus I have tasted in the entire country. David is going to talk about how hard it is to coax a few simple ingredients, chickpeas, tahina, lemon, and salt, into the most delicious and ethereally smooth hummus you've ever tasted. But first, my interview <laughs> with Hrein Wilson. So usually we ease into an episode kind of slowly. I let you get to know the guests a little bit. But this guy has been in your house. I mean, on your TV, but he's been in your house with his weird dorky glasses. You know who he is. We're just going to launch right into Rain Wilson's last meal. Well, it's interesting. My my last meal, I guess I did a very interesting experiment last year where I went vegan. I was a real meat eater. I mean, I had meat for every meal. So, you know, I would have bacon and eggs for breakfast. I would have a chicken salad sandwich. And at night I'd have salmon or or, or, or whatever, a kebab or tacos or, or you name it. And I got really tired of eating all that meat. And I was like, I'm not ever eating meals that are just plant-based. Why is that? And I had a real fear of giving it up. I had a kind of meat dependence. That's what she said. And then my wife and I went whole hog, total vegan for like eight or nine months. Interesting choice of words. Whole hog. (laughs) Very nice. So it was a really cool experience. It was very challenging um, and it made me really rethink 
what is delicious and what I like and how I interact with food and made me much more conscious about food. Since then, I really don't call myself a vegan because I know vegan is like a, it's a movement. So I would say that I eat mostly a plant-based diet. Uh, Sometimes I'll have a little bit of fish or seafood and sometimes I'll have a little bit of eggs. So I'm really going like last meal. I I hate to say it. And this is like boring and people are going to roll their eyes, but there's nothing better than eggplant and and tahini and fresh salads and you know i don't know why i'm going middle eastern right now but like falafels or those great impossible burgers and this is pretty boring and i'm sorry listeners you want an exciting story about like sushi that's prepared on the buttocks of a virgin in the philippines or something like that but that's i really would i really have come to enjoy uh plant-based kind of meals uh way more well you don't have to worry because kenny g already said that he wanted sushi on the buttocks of a virgin so you're good um let him know that i am available I have no idea why he thinks an Israeli meal would be interpreted as boring. I might be a little biased, but as the daughter of an Israeli, that food is amazing. And Rain knows it. Some of the best food I've ever had in my life was in Israel, of all places. You don't really think about Israel for the cuisine, but the food there is so amazing. So I guess for this meal that we're talking about, this hypothetical meal that's going to happen before I go sit in the electric chair, when you sit down at some of these Israeli restaurants, especially like the Arab restaurants, they lay out like a little thing of like, olives and a thing of eggplant and a thing of cabbage and a you know tabbouleh salad and grape leaves and rice and hummus and uh, fresh bread out of the ovens and you just you you literally sit down and all of a sudden you have this like panoply this, this smorgasbord laid in front of you and that's and because it's in Israel and they grow all this food organically in like greenhouses and kibbutzes and stuff like that the flavor is insane. Like if you have a cucumbers in the United States, they don't taste like anything. It tastes just like wet cardboard with essence of cucumber sprinkled on it. But like in Israel, when you eat a cucumber, you're like, oh, that's what a cucumber is supposed to taste like. When you eat a tomato, it's like, oh, that's what tomatoes are are really meant to taste like. So that's where I'm going. I'm making this up as I go along, but I'm going with a, a full Israeli kind of with an Arab themed vegetarian spread. Rain Wilson wants a vegetarian Israeli spread for his last meal, including hummus. After the break, the owner of Aviv Hummus Bar is going to explain the difference between hummus and hummus. And later in the show, Rain Wilson, R-A-I-N-N, tells us how he got his unusual name. We'll be right back. If you're a fan of naturally gorgeous, off-the-beaten-path vacation spots with small-town charm, you're going to want to plan a visit to Washington State's Kitsap Peninsula, where you can grab a scoop of homemade ice cream and stroll around the adorable European seaside village of Paulsbow, or walk on the ferry in Seattle and get off in downtown Bainbridge Island. And May is the perfect month to visit Bremerton or Silverdale, where you can get out of the city and into the forest in just 15 minutes for a beautiful hike. Enjoy a farm-to-table meal at Bremerton's Restaurant Lola, a Black-owned business. I really need to make the trip out there for their Creole brunch. And in the morning, stop by Saboteur Bakery for croissants that are so flaky and buttery, you'll think you're in Paris. There's also a gorgeous golf course in the middle of the forest 
and there are several naval museums in Bremerton. Go to visitkitsap.com slash yourlastmeal to learn more. That's K-I-T-S-A-P, or you can find a link in the show notes. Play and stay on the Kitsap Peninsula, the natural side of the Puget Sound. If you like listening to Your Last Meal, you might like watching my new TV show, The Nosh with Rachel Bell. We just wrapped up season one, so there are four tasty episodes ready for you to binge at CascadePBS.org. In episode one, I convince an East Coast skeptic that Seattle now has fantastic bagels. And in the season finale, we go truffle hunting just about an hour outside of Seattle. Episodes are a quick bite just eight and a half minutes long. So grab a snack and cozy up with the nosh available anytime, anywhere at cascadepbs.org or find a link in the show notes. I grew up in the 1980s with an Israeli dad who whipped up delicious olive oil drizzled hummus. That's what we called it in my house. And when my family visited Israel, we ate hummus every day. Restaurants serve plates of intensely creamy hummus that we wiped up with warm, squishy, freshly baked pita. And then sometime after I graduated college, I started seeing hummus popping up in American grocery stores. Trader Joe's dedicated an entire section of the refrigerator case to it. There's beet hummus, eggplant hummus, white bean and basil hummus, You've seen it. It started showing up at every picnic, every party, every lunchbox, and we were given baby carrots and thin, dry, cardboardy pizza to scoop it up with. When I was a kid, friends who came to my house thought hummus was exotic and foreign and strange. But in 2016, 25% of American households reportedly ate hummus. Now, I very much believe in the expression, don't yuck someone else's yum. And I know what I'm about to say is very foodie McSnobby pants, and I don't feel good about saying it. But none of that hummus tastes good. None of it. Not the stuff in the container, not the stuff on the happy hour menu at a cafe. And in my opinion, not even the hummus served at most Middle Eastern and Greek restaurants in the U.S. The flavor is totally off. The texture isn't right. None of it compares to the hummus I've had in Israel. And I'm not saying my version is any better. I have tried to make hummus countless times at home. I have tried recipes from the masters. Michael Solomonov, Yotimo Telengi. I have tried boiling the chickpeas. I boiled them with baking soda. I've used the canned chickpeas. I've removed every single skin from every single chickpea because that is what Deb Perlman from Smitten Kitchen said to do. And it is never right. It is never right. I have never thoroughly enjoyed hummus in this country. Until, there's a happy ending here, until Aviv Hummus Bar opened in Seattle's Capitol Hill neighborhood. I had very low expectations, but that first bite of Aviv's ethereally smooth hummus was like being transported back to Israel. I really couldn't believe it. I've told everybody to go to this restaurant. Their homemade pita is pillowy and chewy. Their falafel is tender and bright green from herbs. And their shug, an herby Yemenite hot sauce, is truly addictive. So while I was sitting in a hotel room with Rain Wilson, listening to him talk about this Israeli spread, I knew this was finally my opportunity to get up on my soapbox and talk about all of this on the podcast. And the perfect excuse to invite Aviv's owner, David Nussbaum, into the studio. So first I want to start with a little pronunciation lesson because people don't say this word. 
the way that we say this word. So how do you say it? Okay, so say it with me. Hummus. You start with who and then mousse, like chocolate mousse, which is kind of like the texture that we're going for when we actually make hummus. And then you add in the ch, and then you say hummus. And then you start to realize that hummus just sounds wrong. And then once you actually have real hummus, you start to realize that eating hummus is also wrong. My dad is Israeli. I grew up eating hummus. And so I don't want to say hummus because it just feels wrong to me. But sometimes saying hummus makes me feel like I'm being pretentious. Have you always said hummus or is it when you opened this restaurant started your journey? Um, I've always said hummus because that's how we say it at home because my parents are also Israeli. And hummus, it just like it goes, it's almost like against your religion. It hurts. Say, it hurts. Yeah. And so part of what I wanted to do when opening Aviv, my hummus bar, I wanted to re-educate the masses. So we weren't going to water down what we're doing there and cater it to the American market, which is what you're seeing with the hummus, like you mentioned at Trader Joe's, for instance. We're going to stay true to what it is. So we were committed to calling it hummus. We're not calling it tahini. It's tchina. We're doing pita with a hard T. It's not falafel, U-L. It's spelled E-L. It's falafel. To get the opportunity to when you're talking, it's super fun. Exactly. And then the tricky one is when you start to order the hot sauce and we ask you to say Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. David worked in restaurants for years and years. And eventually he wanted to open his own. But he didn't know what to serve. He loves burgers, but Seattle, like everywhere else, has a million burger joints. And then he had a light bulb moment. David wanted to bring real Israeli hummus and falafel to Seattle. So he flew to Israel a couple of times to try and crack the code. Now, in Israel, there are thousands of hummusias, which are restaurants that center around hummus. That is basically all that they serve. And David wanted me to point out that in Israel, it is not a dip. It is a meal. It is not something that you have at a picnic. You get this big plate of hummus. It is topped with whatever you want. You get your fluffy pita on the side, maybe a little bit of pickles, and you just go to town. David ate at as many of these restaurants as he could. He worked in restaurants. He studied with chefs. But no one would share their hummus recipe with him. I was probably making hummus every day for a couple years until one day... I taste it and I just, it's like in the movies. I just have all these flashes in my mind of Israel sitting on the beach, eating hummus, just everything. I'm like, oh my God, it took me back there. This is it. This is the like master ratio. It's also about the quality of the ingredients. It's also a lot of technique. So there's so much that goes into one of the most simple foods ever and one of the oldest foods ever but it's actually so complex and once you have the real hummus you can actually taste those nuances it is incredibly simple all it is is chickpeas tahina lemon and salt there is no garlic there are no spices there is no oil at least not in the israeli version Versions of hummus are eaten in Palestine, Jordan, Syria, Egypt, Lebanon, Cyprus, Turkey, and the earliest mention of a recipe is from 13th century Egypt. David wouldn't give up his exact recipe because if you spent years trying to perfect it, I I see why, but he did give us some hints. I would advise to never use canned 
chickpeas because in my experience, it's going to be grainy. Even when you remove the skins, which on the scale that I'm doing is impossible. So get the dry chickpeas from wherever your source is. It doesn't really matter. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Soak them overnight. Make sure you rinse them because it's going to really stink in the morning. So if you don't rinse those chickpeas clean, then you're going to have some funky hummus. And then just boil the hell out of them. They need to be crazy soft. One trick is to take one out of the pot, throw it against the wall. It sticks. You're probably... Like spaghetti. Exactly. Exactly. And then for the trina, I import mine from Israel. And for people who don't know, that is basically a sesame paste. It's, yeah, it's literally pure ground toasted sesame. David says the quality and flavor of the tahina and how much of it that you use really makes or breaks the flavor of the final product. If you want your hummus to taste like Israeli hummus, you have to use Israeli tahina. So all you do is throw your mushy chickpeas, your tahina, your lemon juice and salt into a food processor, blend it up, smear it onto a plate and top it with whatever you'd like. Real classic one is going to be the boiled chickpeas on top, which are called gargarim, and then trina, and there's all with shemenzait, which is the olive oil, petrozilia, the parsley, and then, of course, some paprika and, and cumin. That's like your, your basic hummus, but there's other classic options as well, like sautéed mushrooms and onions, or the ground beef with uh, pine nuts on top is really delicious as well. And then, of course, you've got hummus with falafel. You can get falafel on top. And, of course, you need the pita to scoop it up. At my joint, we're offering that Israeli-style pita, where it is thick and pillowy. So you can actually rip a good piece off and use it to wipe up the hummus, because we swirl it around the edge of the bowl. And all the toppings go in the middle, so you wipe with one elbow on the bar and the other one up in the air, so you get that that angle so that you can wipe up the hummus and use it as a glue to pick up the goodies in the middle and then just go to town. The end. Okay, I am officially done lecturing you now. Thank you for letting me lecture you. This has been something I've been wanting to talk about for actual years. Uh, And I'm sure there are people in all kinds of cultures who feel this way. For example... In America, we say bruschetta. Well, it's supposed to be pronounced bruschetta. And then there's the whole croissant, croissant kind of thing. And so I'm wondering, why do we feel embarrassed? Why do we feel silly saying things the correct way? Because that's not how we say those words. I wouldn't talk to you about what I know and have said my whole life as hummus. And then I change it to hummus. And that, in, in my mind, makes me a little... Self-conscious? Yeah. Do you think it's like, maybe we think it's cultural appropriation? Like, why would I say it in that accent when I don't have that accent? Yeah, there's probably a little of that. Sure. Because we're all so woke. (laughs) If there's one thing that America is, it's super woke. (laughs) Anyway, I'm going to go have a croissant, some bruschetta, and uh, some hummus. Uh, But when we come back, Rain Wilson talks about why his parents named him Rain with two N's. And the thing that he does that he wishes he started doing before he got famous. We'll be right back.
Rain Wilson and his wife have a nonprofit called Lee Day. They bring academic support and arts programs to girls in Haiti who haven't been given access to an education. They also train local teachers and give them jobs within the programs to encourage self-sufficiency. Volunteering and doing good in the world is a big part of his life. The unfortunate thing is this, is that I only started to get involved after I became a television celebrity. And it's kind of lame, really, because everyone needs to get involved in some way to make the world a better place. You know, we're kind of focused culturally right now on just like, oh, have a nice life, be comfortable, eat well, don't be a be kind, and, and that's it. But, you know, the world is really hurting, and there's a lot of suffering out there. And we need to, everyone needs to work to try and make the world a better place. And I was kind of a selfish, lazy and I only started working on it after I kind of had the resources of being on a TV show. But I, I, really, uh, I really regret that. Rain will be in Seattle raising money for one of his favorite charities next month. There will be more details on that in the credits. But right now, let's get back to some superficial stuff. Like, what's the story behind Rain's name? My first name, Rain. Okay, so dad is living on a houseboat with my mom, and they wanted to name me Rainer after Rainer Maria Rilke, the German poet, of course, because they were crazy hippie bohemians in the late 60s. But then they thought, well, Mount Rainier's right over there, so that'll get confusing for people. And my mom wanted to name me Thucydides after the great Greek historian, author of the Peloponnesian Wars. I don't know what they would have called me as a kid, Thuce or Thucyd or Cydides, or I don't know what my nickname would have been. But my dad won that argument, and they went with Rain. But even Rain with one end would have been too hippie-ish, so they just added an extra N. A name really does sometimes put character into a person, like you're treated differently for certain names, and people pay attention to your name. Have you found that, that your name has been an important part of your life somehow? It has been. If I was just named Gary or something like that, no offense to anyone named Gary, things would have just been different. I don't know what it is. It's a strange name, uh, but I hated it when I was a kid, and I got the crap beat out of me on the, on the playground and teased mercilessly back in the 70s when they actually, when bullying was like a thing. And... Uh, not online bullying, like real actual bullying, like bullies pushing you. Um, but I'm really grateful for the name now, so... I'm happy to have it. And if you were Gary, you'd probably be wearing khakis right now. Instead of jeans? I'm just wearing jeans. Yeah. But, khakis, but jeans are cooler than khakis. That's true. Everyone okay. That, yeah. Yes. And that was Rain Wilson's last meal. Rain is going to be in Seattle May 30th for an event. You need to get tickets. There's a charity here in Seattle called the Mona Foundation, and it helps these local schools and grassroots schools develop all around the globe, including here in Seattle, but mostly in other countries. So we're celebrating our 20th anniversary with a big event at the Paramount Theater on May 30th. And I've gotten a bunch of friends, Chris Ballou from Presidents of the United States of America, Joel McHale, the great stand-up comic and actor. He was on the show Community and The Great Indoors. He's going to be performing. We've got uh, musical guests, uh, Rachel Price from Lake Street Dive. Just Google STG Presents Rain Wilson and Friends to get tickets. Thank you to David Nussbaum, who has made Seattle a more hummusy place. Make sure and go to Aviv Hummus Bar. Everything on the menu is delicious. And if you've only had hummus from the grocery store, your mind is about to be blown. This episode was produced with Laura Scott and Aaron Mason. 
theme music by Prom Queen. And you know the usual stuff. Subscribe to the podcast, leave a review, follow me on Instagram at Your Last Meal Podcast. And we have the most exciting, cozy little update. Oh my goodness. This is my favorite thing. So Ever. if you listen to the last episode, it was with Isaac Mizrahi, who you are now obsessed with and in love with. You've been sending me messages and telling me you love him as much as I do. So last night, I'm in bed. I like to eat in bed. <laughs> I brought in some matzah because it's that time of year. And I like to eat really dry things. Uh, and I had my Reese's egg, which is the best holiday shape of Reese's. And also, I guess I was doing kind of, I don't know, like a little Passover Easter thing. Anyway, I'm in bed eating my treats, and I checked my email, and I got an email from Isaac Mizrahi. And the subject line said, OMG. Oh, so good. <laughs> if you go to my Instagram page, you can see the email that he sent. But he basically said that he loved the podcast and that he's going to send me the freaking spaghetti sauce. Yeah. If you listen to the episode, you know what I'm talking about. So I thought he was just being polite, and I wrote him back a funny little email. And then he wrote back and said, no, I'm really sending you the sauce. And he gave full instructions <sighs> about how to prepare it when it arrives yes. and how much pasta will work with it. And so if you had any doubts that he was not the best person in the world... I mean, whatever. I don't even need to finish that sentence. (laughs) (laughs) I also want to point out that when I was setting up the interview with him, it was not with him. It was with his people. So he, like, tracked down the email address to do all this. He's just a nice person. File is closed. Go to QVC right now. (laughs) I'm Rachel Bell, and this is Your Last Meal. It's even this is like too much for me. I'm like on my soapbox and I'm like, I don't even want to say it like this anymore. All right, here we go. Ready when you are. Ready, ready.